How are we doing out there, Liberty lovers? Welcome to yet another episode of This Week in Liberpods. As always, I am your host, Nikki P. Well, we have another five fantastic libertarian podcasts for you to take out for a spin today. So if you're keeping track, this is what, episode number seven? So that means we've had 35 different libertarian podcasts so far. So if you go back and start listening at episode one, every episode you get five different podcasts to take a gander at. Personally, I think that is a wonderful, wonderful feast of new ideas and new voices for us to get to, get to take a look at. So, anyways, let's start this particular episode out with, we'll say one of the bigger personalities in the Liberty Movement. Uh, he's actually been a, a personality at Reason TV on YouTube. <coughs> but this is actually a rebranded uh, new podcast by Andrew Heaton called The Political Orphanage. Uh, the particular clip I chose to pull is a commercial that he put together for the podcast that's absolutely hilarious. He has people on. He does the actual Let's Talk Politics thing. But this particular commercial really, really lets you know what Andrew is about. So let's get in here and have a listen. Mustard Spray from Condiments Galore. Mustard spray isn't just a delicious condiment to slather onto your sandwich or salad. It's also the best way to administer it from balconies, across the yard, or just for fun during a family mustard fight. Mustard spray is the tastiest mustard on the market and the only mustard that comes ready-made in a pump-action pressure gun allowing you to make your burger delicious from up to 26 feet. I don't want to pick on other brands of mustard. But I have to say, the pneumatic pressure in your average bottle of French's is absolutely pathetic. It's like the bottle needs prostate surgery. Am I dousing mustard on my turkey sandwich or wasting my life with a miniature yellow caulking gun? Even harder to tell with Coleman's, which is like French's for poor people. Coleman's mustard is basically French's mustard for high school dropouts. I don't even want to talk about grape upon. I've ended friendships over that pretentious sludge. They're basically just handing out jars of yellow sadness. Thanks for nothing, Grey Poupon. And folks, when you get towards the bottom of one of these lesser brands of mustard, they're basically just coughing yellow syrup onto your potato salad. Again, no pneumatic pressure at all. Well, that's not the case with mustard spray. Mustard spray is made from the finest mustard orchards in America and mustardized using ancient family condiment recipes for just the right amount of mustardy zing. Mm. More importantly, mustard spray is the most practical way to apply condiments long distance. Let's say you're at the barbecue and some idiot is overcooking all the beef patties, so you shove that guy out of the way and helpfully take over. Now you're captaining the grill, but your burger is on the picnic table 12 feet down. Not a problem. Just pump that mustard gun a few times, aim and spray. Bammo. Delicious and accurate. Let's say you're enjoying a church potluck, and you look up, 
and there's the town's mayor in a hot air balloon. But he looks all sad because he's hungry for lunch and he forgot to bring mustard. Well, there's no reason for that guy to jump overboard and kill himself. You can just shout up, hey, Mr. Mayor, hold up your bread. 20 sturdy pumps on your mustard gun ought to do it. Then aim and spray a high-pressure stream of high-taste mustard right onto his rye. Everyone at the potluck will be so impressed with you that they'll let you rename the church to a saint you like better. Or how about this? You love sandwiches, but you also love playing paintball. Are you going to lug around a paintball gun and a can of mustard like a psychopath? Of course not. If you've got mustard spray with you, you've basically got a machine gun in the world of paintball. So why not tag the other team and then celebrate your victory with a delicious ham sandwich? Mustard spray from condiments galore. Taste the bullseye. I told you it was going to be some funny stuff there, and I am positive that I did not let you down. Whatever his faults might be, you may call him a milk toast libertarian. You may just call him kind of a Republican, whatever. But I think his heart's in the right place. And if not, just laugh your ass off. That is some funny, funny stuff. I want a mustard sprayer now. I need to get one. Anyways, moving right along, we've got our second clip coming up today from the Propaganda Report with Monica Perez. Uh, I recently just got turned on to this one, and I, I'm not sure if maybe it's a little too nutty for me, but I'm going to listen to every episode because, holy crap, they get into some crazy stuff, and they are a lot of fun to listen to. So let's have a listen here and see some of the things that they're going to be talking about with the recent Democratic... Primaries. Oh, when I'm having a fight with my husband, an argument. I bet that's fun for him. Oh, oh, it gets real fun because <laughs> when he's right and I'm wrong, he still loses the argument. And then at the end, I'll say, okay, you understand where you went wrong in that? I was wrong here. And, <laughs> and he laughs. He tells the story to people. He's like, it's impossible to argue with her. So you and give she, him coaching on. So he's usually right. I just, I get so frustrated because I, uh, the argument just takes on a life of its own. And usually it ends up, we're just laughing hysterically, which in reality, that's a problem because <laughs> he never stops like not washing the pots correctly. To which I should honestly be like, you know, the guy works hard. He doesn't need to wash the pots, but he makes such a mess when he's cooking. It's so messy. And I, I'm just like, dude, I can't, I can't start cooking it. I can't start cleaning for four hours of this. Hour. But anyway, so he does let yeah. you know how laughter like makes you, you always forget the best jokes because laughter like kind of snaps you out of thinking yeah, it's the way it makes you feel yeah so so like i'll tell him the same thing but if we have like an argument like that i'm just like you need to tell me that you work really hard and i should just clean it and blah 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 you know? <laughs> like, so uh yes but he never remembers anything because we always end up laughing but my point is that what don lemon was doing is just arguing to be argumentative. He's not getting anywhere with it. He's losing every argument he's starting and then yeah. changing the nature of the argument, which is what I do <laughs> when I'm losing. Nobody else catches it, but yeah. that's what he's doing. And his and whole goal is to make that guy look discredited. And it just shows that all you're trying to do, like in my case, I just want to be right. Like at the end <laughs> of it, out of the heat of the argument, then I'm like, I don't care if I'm right or not. You know, we're all friends here. But you know, when you're in an argument, you want to win. And then, but what he 
is doing, it's it's worse than just wanting to win. It's just an, being in an emotional kind of vortex. He's actually trying to make an important point to the world with the intent of really changing the world, moving the dial without regard to truth or goodness. Now, I guess yeah. the way, you know, it's that Newspeak thing. It's that communist idea where lies are fine. You know, the ends justify the means. So they'll say that. I, I mean, openly, like it's you have to do what you have to do to get the win for the good of mankind. Yeah. But, you know, my old thing is morality has arisen up or been handed down by God or risen up from 10,000 years of human civilization, morality, law, concepts of justice, liberty, all that stuff, because they are the right answer for humanity. And and Ron Paul's final speech in Congress was really made that point. Like he has concluded in these many years that the greatest good for the most people comes from liberty. And so so the ends justify the means. The means are all there is. And that's a moral concept. And that's that is, in my mind, the greatest the greatest flaw it's they've created a population of people who follow them who it doesn't matter if you're black or white if you disagree with them you're racist well but he went beyond that don lemon went beyond that he He said right you're evil too no but he said oh so you're saying just attacking people is okay you're a man of god attacking people is not okay like he moved beyond the race thing he just said to him the guy i think it's a character attack. Owens, like a, no, I think Owens said, I think Owens made, made a definitive statement. Nothing he can say. This is my answer. I don't think he's a racist. This is why. And you know it. And then Don Lemon, instead of accepting defeat and saying, maybe he's not, you you got a point there, which of course he can't do. But he did turn around and say, oh, as a man of God, you condone that he attacks people of all color. Is that what you're saying? So he just didn't care he just yeah maybe he's he's i think yeah he's definitely doing i think he's discrediting the witness and he's giving solutions to people say like say we're talking to somebody and we're saying but wait a minute maybe there maybe trump's not racist listen to what this guy has to say who's a black pastor a man of god who went to the white house don lemon is furnishing them the so many times he doesn't even remember sorry go ahead don lemon is furnishing the rebuttal for when we make this argument of here listen to this this african-american who's a man of god who went to trump's white house who doesn't believe that trump's racist so they'll go oh no but that guy thinks that gay people are child molesters and that guy he, he thinks it's okay to attack people so he's not really godly so you can't trust what he says yeah right but i do think that as you thought when you pulled that clip i'm sure don lemon did not make his case oh no don lemon didn't make his case i don't think the point for him i think he brought that guy on just like they had those guys on in the debate to attack him because that guy might go on other networks and and the way they do it is this what can i say but those two aren't pulling any punches who boy did i just peek out a little bit given that who boy there should I do another one and hopefully not peek it out this time? I think we're going to leave it to heck with it. Peek that baby out. Anyways, so that was the propaganda report with Monica Perez. And my, oh my, what a fantastic fun show that is. Our third clip this week, however, is from my good friend Dan Smots as he's interviewing Remzo Martinez about his upcoming book over on the System is Down podcast. Let's uh, see what they're getting into. Don't read 
though. I don't have time for that shit, man. Uh, communication is uh, is not in text anymore. But um, so let's talk about this new book. What is uh, kind of the, the, the background behind it? Uh, what inspired it and what's it about? Yeah. So basically, the book is about two characters. One is a fictional protagonist named Art Brown, who's a political consultant who, as soon as he's about to sit the right hand of power in Washington, D.C., he basically gets kicked out of the inner circle of the elite political consultant class that he wanted to be a part of for so long and ends up working for some not so trustworthy people as he tries to suss out whether or not this is worth it. On top of that, it has an inner looping story arc that talks about the OG terrible politician the Greek tragedy of American politics, Governor George Wallace of Alabama. And as you read through Art Brown's story arc in the book, it parallels that of George Wallace, a real life historical character to basically show you how things work for the political consultant class and what ends up happening to these politicians who try and win at all costs. And what both stories end up, you know, mashing together to show is a very, very essential question. What is the cost of success if you lose yourself in the process? And is it worth it if at the end of the day, you look back at your legacy and say, I wish I could have done it over again? So it's a it's a dark comedy. If you love history, if you love politics, if you like House of Cards, if you like all that stuff with a little bit of humor jumped in in the mix, um, I think this book is going to be for you. Cool. Very cool. Uh, so is this completely fiction? Is it based off of anything in reality? Any like your story or anything like that? So, I mean, it's uh I'd be lying if I said that there's no, no part of me in there because every author puts a little bit of themselves in their protagonist. But I mean, you've got the nonfiction part, which is about George Wallace. And it took about six months to actually um, get to the point where I felt comfortable writing about his life. Because if you're going to write about a real life person, you better make sure that you've read and done everything you can. So that right. way you uh, give it justice. And the one thing that I'm really proud of, and you'll see this in the bibliography of the book, is that every quote in the book, is actually based off every quote in the book in the George Wallace story arc is actually based off an actual conversation. And all those are backed with uh, references and things. So the George Wallace arc is, I mean, it's, it's, it's essentially a narrative telling of a history book. And then when you look at the Art Brown story arc, it's, it basically takes place between 2016 and 2018 uh, in Virginia, where I'm from, because I'm very familiar with Virginia politics. That's where I worked. And uh, I mean, the character of Art Brown is based off like six or seven people. A lot of the characters are made by mixes of people I've encountered over time. Sure. So what I wanted to do was I really wanted to show people what this political consultant class is like, because you don't often hear about them. A lot of people don't really know what goes on with political consultants. But the scary thing is, is that these people profit not off victory, not off policy, but they profit off sheer rage and um you know often we want to blame the candidates for making our dialogue worse for making our our democracy worse and everything but in in reality all this stuff is staged it's intentional and it's made by these political consultants that are trying to that are trying to basically drive up people's animosity and fears so that way they can make a you know a bunch of cash and then leave the state as soon as the whole thing's over and leave everyone in the mess they jumped into so it's really showing people that because it's been done in some ways before, but it's never been done in a way that's actually interesting, immersive, and entertaining. So I thought Mm -hmm. by adding a fictitious element to this whole book that would uh, give people an opportunity to kind of see how they themselves, if they were to put themselves in these characters, would interact in these situations and deal with a lot of the questions that um, 
uh, they have to face. Yeah. So, so, so is that kind of the, the overall goal just to kind of expose the, the system uh, for what it is and how it actually functions to the, the common person? Yeah, I mean, the first book, Stay Away from the Libertarians, was really written for liberty curious people, people that didn't want to pick up a Murray Rothbard book or yeah. a Von Mises book or something. They wanted something that was basically like the Reader's Digest version of modern libertarian history. Um, so that book is for people that already know there's a problem with our current system. They already question the government. They just want to take that extra logical step. Whereas with this book, it's really for people that don't necessarily understand that there is a problem with government. And the problem with government is inherently people. Mm-hmm. It's that we take people on one party or or whatever, or people that are in elected positions, and we automatically think that they have our best interests at heart, and they're just going to do the right thing. But in reality, a lot of people use the state just to make themselves very powerful and very rich, and they are willing to sacrifice the regular populace in order to gain that. So it's really meant for people that uh, don't even really understand that there's a problem with the system. Or if they do, they just think, oh, it's the other party's fault. It's just one person's fault. What I want to tell you is that the whole system is poisoned. Mm-hmm. So this is hopefully a wake up call for people because you've got the Art Brown story arc, which while it is fictitious, uh, I mean, it's all based in real events and reality. And you, if you've, unless you've been living under a rock a couple of years, you're going to hear about some stories and references of things that have happened. And you know, paralleling that with the life and times of George Wallace, a guy that started off as an extremely progressive um, state senator and judge from Alabama to eventually become like the villain of the civil rights movement. Like that stuff didn't just happen accidentally. Right. There's a story there, but then what happens after that? That's what the history books don't often um, discover. And that's something I didn't really understand until I started really researching him because he was really supposed to be a side character of the book. Instead, um, his life was just Well, I can tell you that I absolutely cannot wait for that book to come out. Word has it that the audiobook version is going to be read by none other than Johnny Rocket of Blast Off with Johnny Rocket over at the Launchpad Media, where I also happen to have my other podcast, Sounds Like Liberty. Shameless plug, I'm okay with that. Anyways... We've got the Scottish Liberty Podcast. This is actually a conversation with Mr. Kyle Anzalone over at the Foreign Policy Focus Podcast. And they're having a little aside talking about Ayn Rand and foreign policy. Anytime Ayn Rand comes into the picture, you know things are going to get a little, you know, Randian. Let's see what we got going on. What would, you know, are there limits in the libertarian philosophy? What is this? Thank you for asking me that. It's very interesting because if you go over to the Ayn Rand Institute, now I'm a huge Ayn Rand enthusiast. I think she was really brilliant. I love her arguments for capitalism. I love her arguments for ethics, eh, for liberty, um, for, for liberty and things like that. And um, she's got a very penetrating mind and she was great at taking apart bad arguments. But they have a philosophy, which is if you're at war, the gloves come off. Just go in, flatten them, destroy their infrastructure, do whatever it takes to to not only win a decisive victory, but completely demoralize your opponent so that everyone knows not to mess with you. 
And I think that is a extraordinarily collectivist view. If you really understand libertarianism, and I know that the objectivists don't say they're libertarianism, libertarians, so they've got a right to do that, to deviate. But I do think you should, you know, I think we should hold ourselves to higher standards, first of all. And second of all, anything you mention would be considered a crime if an individual does it. So we're all individuals. And really, we do live in a status paradigm. So if you're a minarchist, you should be saying, well, the government is there to protect you from foreign invaders, yes. Not to intervene abroad, but if you're under threat to go in and win a decisive victory, um, for sure. But at the same time, there's only individuals. There are no collectives. So what are you going to do killing a whole bunch of civilians? I mean, I believe in the first Gulf War, uh, something like 100,000 civilians were killed. We bombed uh, infrastructure, power plants, because we bombed power plants. I, I hate that. We. As I said, there's only individuals. Those people, those government officials commanded the military to, to bomb power plants. The lights went off in hospitals and people died in them. People say that the depleted uranium shells that were used um, created such an uh, increase in radiation there that there's birth defects to this day because of them. So that I think you're going, what you're doing is you're creating a situation where there's more people in the world that hate you. And in a time where the biggest threat to our lives is not actually by a foreign invader, but by things like if it's going to be a for if it's going to be a threat of violence from uh, antagonistic power, it's likely to be in the form of terrorism or you know some sort of cyber hacking and and things like that. Um, the, the fact that other countries do not have the military might to destroy us is really not of a concern. The fact that they can maybe find a way of getting somewhere where they can strap a bomb to themselves and blow up civilians is more of a concern. So from a completely selfish point of view, you don't want to be creating people that hate you. But anyone with um, a moral conscience should care if some random farmer from nowhere has a bomb fall on their house and his children die and he has to bury his wife because someone in our government decided that we don't like the administration in that country. Um, yeah, so I, th I, think you sh I think if you're coaxed into war, you should try. And back to the point of an individuals, no one's stopping anyone from, or at least no one should be stopping anyone from flying over to Syria and fight, uh, grabbing a gun and fighting on whatever side they want to. But as libertarians, we shouldn't be advocating for the government to have the right to force people at gunpoint through the tax system to pay for these interventions. Right. And, you know, I, I take your point. Like, I, I'm you know, not a huge fan of... All right. That was yet another fine, fine podcast this week. We've got our last clip, folks. We've gotten all the way to the end. Can you believe it? We made it. This little journey, seeing what kind of libertarian podcasts are out there. We come to our last clip of this week, which is a personal favorite of mine, the School Sucks podcast with Mr. Brett Vinat. Uh, they're having a fantastic and interesting conversation. Uh, they're starting to get into a little bit of Jordan Peterson and personal growth and some of the things that Peterson actually seems to have really been regarded highly about in these past couple of years. So why don't you give it a listen, see if it piques your interest. 
I would like you to go into a little bit of detail about Jordan Peterson's approach to this type of difficult exploration, right? So I've gone at it more from the Nathaniel Brandon angle, right? Like right. his sentence completion exercises, that kind of a, a mining operation, just to stick to yes. the, you know, above and below ground metaphor there. Uh, I know a really important part of Peterson's message has been, if you want to see the emergence of a better world, you need to start by building order in your own life. And it's interesting, right. too, that recently, uh, Young School Sucks listener, this guy, Danny McCarthy, he and I started doing a, a monthly series for our supporting uh, listeners, School Sucks supporting listeners, uh, the members of our community, on the pursuit of utopia. And we're, I mean, we're starting all the way, you know, we're like 500 years ago in our story right now. But you brought up the 20th century, right? And the 20th century provides... Oh, no shortage of examples, uh, really horrifying examples of people trying to build a better world from the top down, right? And casualty of those projects was millions, hundreds of millions of individuals who were not at the top of those systems, but had to conform or be molded in one way. And I mean, obviously, like school, public schooling in, uh, you know, your homeland and mine were both utopian projects and (laughs) related utopian projects as far as their their founders and their mission is concerned. So um, what does Peterson's approach look like? He uses a lot of uh, metaphor and imagery in his discussion of this, but what was your takeaway of what he was encouraging people to do? I think he's simultaneously asking us to pay attention to the value of the traditional wisdom literature that we have as the cornerstone of Western society, at least in terms of its current cultural influence or its historical cultural influence as in the Bible and all the Christian mythology and Christian stories. And so that's definitely a part of it where it's all about exploring what is the actual code, the cultural code, the religious code that uh, we are not even aware of its operation in our society and in our own minds. Like even the idea of individualism, as in the individual is something to value over the group, is directly related and traceable back to this idea of divinity as coming alive in each and every person uh, or a spark of divinity that uh, was primarily developed by the Christian and the Jewish uh, and Semitic uh, sort of uh, yeah, religions. Um, and so if we don't realize how much those secularized and abstracted away notions rely on fundamentally religious processes, then we are basically like a uh, like, like people on a ship that doesn't have a captain nor a map of the, the terrain. And we're just basically coasting along with virtual reality headsets uh, on thinking that we're making progress towards the, the new land. And so uh, that's not a, a recipe for anything good. Uh, right. So that's, that's part of, that's one side of it. And the other side is uh, not only like uh, taking the those those wisdom traditions and and helping us understand their value, but also looking at what the current psychological and therapeutic and the, the scientific literature uh, lets us conclude about what good what are good steps to take in your personal life in your personal life to start making progress towards what you yourself deem valuable. This is one of the key components. The goals need to be chosen by you, not by somebody else. If you are an unwitting participant in ideology or even a witting participant in ideology and you let a singular other person's pronouncement of what's important in the world uh, overshadow and suppress your own capacity to generate that yourself, then you are basically just acting out the will of dead people. I mean, the term slogan 
itself is, I believe, Irish or Welsh uh, and says a dead person's words or something like that, like dead person, dead person's sentences. And so when you just haul, like, yeah, use slogans, you're basically just, as they say, an NPC, right? So, mm. and I think this is actually the the next step to look at in terms of how can we square or, or yeah, bring these two sides together of religion and science or of atheism and, and God belief, which we are currently stuck in the sort of uh, paradoxical and schizophrenic alteration between the two uh, or alteration and altercation. Like, you right. Know, culture. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, because obviously the way Peterson, like, let's just stick with Peterson for a minute. The way yeah. he introduced to himself. Now, that wasn't disappointing, was it? Not at all. You know how I know that? Because I love it. I'm not disappointed. You're like me. You're a good, good libertarian. You're not disappointed with any of this. Five clips every week looking at helping you test drive new libertarian podcasts to expand your horizons, see what other voices are out there in the liberty movement. This was episode number seven, which means we've gone through 35 new podcasts. So... If you like what we did, go subscribe, show some love on whatever podcatcher it is, give us a review, tell your friends. The most important thing you can do right now is tell your friends because the more people we get listening to this podcast, the more people we get exposed to different podcasts that they might personally love. And that's the important thing for me is that we get to spread all of these great creators to the people who are really interested in them. Help them find their audiences. Because the more people we get in touch with the right voices, the bigger this whole thing can be. So if you'd like to join the mailing list, you want to contact me, head over and over to liberpods.com where you can look us up on Twitter or Facebook. And, you know, just go out and spread the word, folks. That's the best thing you can do for us right now is help to grow, to help to spread the word. Have a good one.